Hi, this is Cole. And this is Carly. Welcome to our podcast, Shakes and Shivers. Before we start today's episode, we first have an announcement from our sponsors. Do you not like your head? Do you wish your body could float? Do you want fame, riches, and to ride a camel? Join our group as we bring payment back to earth in this hereditary event. It's not only in your DNA, it's your destiny. So guys, today we are discussing the movie Hereditary from 2018 um, and all of the wonderful things that come with that movie. Yeah, so when this movie was first um, being advertised to, uh, like, I remember seeing it everywhere. Like, there were so much, like, uh, there was so much, um, not media attention, but, like, advertisement for this movie. People were saying this was the scariest movie. It was even scarier than The Exorcist, which I've never seen The Exorcist, so I can't, like, you know, put them two together. But um, when it finally did um, come out and the, uh, people watched it, there was actually a bit of disappointment. It actually kind of got a bad score for a while because people were expecting something completely different than what they got. Yeah, this movie was really, really hyped up as like a terrifying movie. And there definitely are some parts that made me jump. And there are some horror, definitely, definite horror moments in this movie. But compared to their original exorcism, which I've seen, I don't really think it, it's like in a different category. So it would be kind of like comparing apples and oranges. It's hard to compare the two. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like they shouldn't have never even tried to compare the two movies. Like you said, it's apple and oranges. Like Hereditary is like, I feel like drama horror, like it's very like, it's almost like maybe not drama, like psychological in the beginning. I definitely think a lot of it is psych, um, psychological horror. And one of the things about this movie that I, I'm i not sure that I enjoyed it is kind of the twist in the movie. Um, so just to kind of jump straight into the twist, we learned that, you know, Annie's mother, Ellen, died. And they had a funeral for her. And then Ellen goes to support, I mean, Annie goes to support group. Um, after that funeral to kind of get like it's a grief support group so she's trying to process her feelings and during that meeting she talks about you know when she was a kid her dad died from psychotic depression by starving himself her mother had dissociative identity disorder which is called did um, also known as multiple personality disorder so it's where um, they have like it's almost like there's multiple people inside of them but it's really just a split in their personality and that's usually due to them trying to um, survive trauma. And then her brother supposedly had schizophrenia and he killed himself when he was a young man and said that it was because his mom was trying to put people inside him. So right off the bat at this support group, we can definitely tell Annie, (laughs) Annie comes from a family that has some issues. There's definitely some dysfunction there. Um, but the twist in the movie is that as it goes along, you kind of think Annie may be going crazy or that Annie may be the one um, doing a lot of stuff because in that support group, I don't remember if it's in the support group or a counseling session she does later on. She mentions that um, when her kids were younger, she used to sleepwalk a lot and she almost caught all three of them on fire. Um, so we think maybe Annie's going crazy throughout the movie. But then, bum, 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 it turns out that there's secretly this cult who are trying to bring this demon named Payman to Earth. 
and they're using Annie's family, specifically her children, as vessels for him. Yeah, and we learned that, like, Ellen is was the leader of this cult, so this has been, like, a long time coming for the cult, because, like, um, when you look at the history of all of, like, Annie's family and her trauma, you think maybe Ellen tried to do the, um, not the, what is it, like, the... The ritual? The ritual to bring forth this demon, but it failed, and, you know... Um, the demon wants to possess a male body and her son killed himself. So it kind of like halted, like um, put, hit the brakes really hard on for the cult. And for some weird reason, they need Ellen. It's like, it has to be her bloodline. Yes. And it's, it's very interesting because even at the end of the movie, you know, there a lot of paranormal stuff does happen at the end of the movie, but throughout the movie, it does make you wonder, is there really paranormal stuff just happening or are the people just having, like, Annie and her family experiencing these things because of the trauma they've endured, because of the grief they've experienced? Like, is it really that there are demons or is it their own, are they, is it their own anxieties and their own, like, grief and pain manifesting itself? Yeah, and even before, like, every, like, the shit hits the fan, after, like, it's kind of like before and after Ellen's death, um, the grandmother we kind of see that the family's very, like, um, not close. Like, everyone's kind of separate in their own world. Like, Charlie, uh, not Charlie. Uh, yeah, Charlie, the daughter, is, like, kind of strange and abnormal. She's a bit of an outcast. She cuts off animal's head, which, you know, is definitely, like, needs, like, needs to be, like, seen by, like, a therapist or a, what's the proper word? A psychologist. A psychologist, yeah, she definitely needs to get that checked out. Peter kind of just goes day to day, and it almost seems like he's not even like, uh, like he's alive. He's numb to everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, like he's on autopilot. Um, and kind yeah, of he's going just going day to day. Kind of going off of what, what you're saying. Even Annie, um when we see her at her mom's funeral and she's at the memorial service and she's giving kind of the eulogy, she mentions her mom was a complicated woman and she's like, that's probably why she's the way she is. And we do notice that Annie's not very like, she's not overly affectionate with her children. She's not very, what we would consider maternal. Like she doesn't hug on them a lot. She doesn't love on them a lot. She's very like, she holds them at a distance and we see like, um, she's an artist and she's creating like these mini scenes of her life. And so she has like her miniature house that she's building regarding her family. And then her mom's like death. She does a little miniature scene of her mom's death. And then later on in the movie, we have this really big incident happen. That's pretty horrifying. And honestly, to me is the most horrifying part of the movie is where um, her 13 year old daughter, Charlie she forces her to go to a party with her son. And at that party, Charlie has an allergic reaction to something she ate. We don't know if it was nuts in the cake. Um, that's what we think it is. So Peter has to pick his sister up, run out to his car, put her in the back seat. And he's like speeding towards the hospital, wherever they live at. Um, I think it's based in Utah, but he's speeding to the hospital um, somehow, I don't know if the roads are slick or not, but he kind of lose control of the car, so it's veering back and forth, 
and Charlie, who can't breathe, we see her kicking her feet. She's thrashing around, trying to get some air into her airways. She sticks her head out the window to get some more air, just as the car's veering back and forth, and it slams into, like, the way her head is outside of the window, the car gets too close to a telephone pole, and it decapitates her. Ugh. And that is is probably horrifying scene of the movie in my opinion but later and maybe this was just her way of processing it but later we see um the mom annie literally make a miniature scene of that incident and i don't know why but it just struck me as so odd and like disconnected and kind of cold in a way and even her husband like is like don't you think that's kind of like don't you think if our son sees that you're adding this into your art, it's going to impact him negatively? And she's like, it's not about him. And so, in a way, it's like, she's kind of selfish. But well, we also she, know she does not want to be a mom. Yeah, and it, it kind of shows me that she is her mom in a way. Like, yeah, her mom is more, like, domineering and, you know, kind of was like, it's my way or the highway. But in a way, she, like, she took those aspects of her mother and she presents them in a different form and format, but still, like you said, cold and heartless. Yes. And um, I think we kind of get that. We get that ideal that she is her mom in a way, even before the film really kicks off. Because just at the memorial service, we see Annie standing at the podium talking about her mom. And she ha- is wearing the specific necklace. And then when her, Charlie and the others go and view the body, the mom is also wearing that specific necklace. And we, we realize that necklace represents the secret cult. I kind of feel like, um, like you said, so like the big twist at the end is that it's not Annie like doing all of it. It's actually the cult and it, they've been in control of the whole um, situation since the beginning. But I kind of feel like another nice twist would have been if like Anne was like, you know, did know about the cult. And I think in some ways it's implied that she did kind of know about it. I mean, maybe on a subconscious level, because we know she doesn't really go into much detail about it, especially not with her husband, who comes across as the most normal person in this film, um, until, like, things are really unraveling and she feels like she's discovered her mom's body and she's, like, freaking out. She's showing him all of the books. And explaining to him, you know, this is my fault. I listened to this lady. I didn't know she was a cult member. We did the seance thing. And it's brought something into our home. Um, But I think that Annie was part of this process, part of this ritual from the very beginning. Because the ritual, this we're when we enter the movie, the ritual has been going on already. Um, And Annie's kind of been a part of it from the very beginning because she mentions how when she was pregnant with her son, she didn't want to have him. She thought about having an abortion, but after her mom and other people spoke with her, she was convinced to keep him. And then she kept her mom completely away from her son, Peter. She wouldn't let her mom have any contact with them. They went no contact. Well, then she started feeling bad about it. And so she let her mom back in her life when she had her daughter, Charlie. And instead of trying to protect Charlie in the same way she protected Peter, she just hands Charlie over to her mother because Charlie's a girl and she doesn't think her mom can do anything with Charlie. Which is wrong. So wrong. And we know that her relationship with her daughter Charlie's very kind of 
not good because after her mother's death, Charlie's really upset about it. And she says, like, who's going to take care of me that now that, you know, grandma's dead? And the mom gets offended about it, but that lets us know kind of like who's been the main caregiver to Charlie this entire time. And we even see like Annie kind of be mean to Charlie. It's like you said, it's like Annie never wanted children. So it's like she never wanted this life. So she allowed her mom to kind of like take over in a way to being Charlie's mother. And I know she didn't allow Annie or I mean, Ellen around Peter. But still, I bet Ellen, you know, if she was living in that house with them, had some effect on Peter. We also know that um, her and Peter's relationship has been strained since he was a lot younger because he woke up when um, she was sleepwalking and she had put paint thinner on him, his sister Charlie, and herself, and she was going to light them on fire. And right there, that shows me that maybe Annie, like you said, she knows about the cult stuff, but subconsciously, as she was trying to stop, like, this horror, in a way, what she's doing is horrific, but it will, like, you know, stop the ritual from completing. Yes. You know what I love about this movie is that, like, we get two sides. We have the more supernatural side of, like, you know, the cult and bringing forth this demon and then you have the more mental side of like, this is what happens when there's mental illness throughout a family and it never gets treated nor resolved. Yes. And I think we kind of see that um, in Annie's frustration when she goes off on Peter at the dinner table after his sister's death. Like Peter's trying to broach the topic of like, I know you secretly blame me, mom, for her death. And um, Annie completely loses it. And she's like, I do blame you. I know it was an accident. I'm sorry. I wish I could take that pain from you. But nobody in this family owns up to what they do. And then Peter throws it right back at her. her, And he's like, this is your fault too. Because Charlie didn't want to go to that party. He didn't want Charlie to go to that party. His mom forced Charlie to go to that party in some vague attempt at making her normal. Yeah, which is so weird because, like you said, it was a high school party. Yes, and she is a junior high student. And she if you looked at all of the other kids around her, they were so much bigger than her. Yeah, it was just... And in a way, it's like he's right because, like, she, it's like they don't ever own up to any of their stuff. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. Like, Antlin, how do you let your husband starve to death? How do you let your son, like, kill himself? And it's like... I don't know. It's like this trauma just keeps getting passed down from family member, family member, and it gets worse and worse. And to me, I also don't, we never see it, but to me, it's crazy. Like your son accidentally killed his younger sister in a horrible manner. Like she ended up decapitated while he was trying to save her life. And rather than addressing that at all in the movie, we don't see them address it at all. We don't see them put him in counseling. He's still going to school. He has like a panic attack at school. He has like another incident where he's kind of like loses control of his body and bangs his face into the desk and he's screaming and hollering. And do they seek care for him at all? No, they just like take him home and put him to bed. Yeah, but it's like, and see, that's what's crazy. It's like, why didn't they get him treatment? But the same like, Annie literally covers her children in, like, paint thinner. And it's like, oh, well, you know, (laughs) whatever. 
Yeah, and it's kind of like, in a way, her husband's also complicit because it's like, if your wife was to do that with your children, wouldn't you want her to get medical care? Wouldn't you bar her from being around them until you knew what was wrong? Yeah, Steve, like, don't get me wrong. Steve's like the most normal, but in a way, like you said, he's complicit. He just, he's a, he's just, um, not a passenger like he just stands around and doesn't do anything he doesn't try to help his son he doesn't like your daughter's chopping off birds heads and animals heads and you're just allowing that mm-hmm. and I mean we do see in one email he does start reaching out to somebody I, I don't know if it was a doctor or someone else but he does mention that he's worried about Annie and he thinks she's having like a psychiatric episode or like a breakdown And but then we don't see that go anywhere because before anything can happen, it's already too late. Yeah. So at her grief, like grief group, um, Annie's at her grief group. um, She made a new friend named Anna, who also has like who tells her like my children also, you know, died and stuff. And you know what brought me um, some relief is I did um, a seance and doing a seance really like made me feel like you know, better or closer or, you know, kind of brought closure to my, uh, to my children's death. So she writes down the instructions and gives it to Annie. So Annie unwillingly knowing does the seance and uses Charlie's journal to kind of like reach out to Charlie who has passed away. And in a way it's like, Steve, your wife's doing a seance to reach out to her dead daughter. It's like, this is like, I don't know. It's just going so crazy. And they and they do it. They do the seance and it does like supernatural stuff does happen. But it's like we were at a level five with the creepiness and now we're at a level 10. Like things go crazy from here. After the seance, it's like they have invited the demon into their home now willingly. It had to be willingly. And Annie has done that. And now like, it's like now things get even crazier. And um. And he goes to show Steve afterwards, like, like she tried to burn, um, for, was it Charlie's journal she tried to burn? Yes. She tries to burn Charlie's journal in the fireplace and her arm caught in fire. So she had to drag the book out. So she's like, Steve, like, like all this stuff is going on. I'm not crazy. And Steve's like, no, you are crazy because like your, your dead mother's in our attic. Her head, was her head missing by that time or no? yes her head was missing yeah like your headless dead mother's in our attic steve thinks it's and and it's kind of annoying that it had to go this far for steve to kind of like put his foot down well steve did try to stop the seance but you have to understand at the same time a lot of people reach out to the spiritual side when they've gone through something really horrible they do it like as a means of trying to like work through that grief so i think he thought it was crazy and he did not want to do it and he even pushed back but when she was so insistent, he thought, well, maybe, maybe if we do this, it'll give her the closure she needs. And instead, it woke up something entirely different. But nobody could predict that their family's being controlled, you know, secretly by a cult. Yeah, it's like, it's crazy how like the cult has their finger so dug. Well, of course, because Ellen was a cult leader, it's not surprising their fingers are dug so deeply into this family. But it's just when you watch it a second time, or if you really pay attention the first time, you see all the clues that shows just how far this cult has gone to make sure their uh, uh, demon prince comes back to Earth. 
Um, I will say regarding this movie, I understand what they were trying to do with the movie, with the ending. But the first half of the movie feels like a completely different movie to the second half of the movie. So I feel like the transition into the plot twist was not, like, smooth. Oh, so it feels disconnected? Yeah, it feels kind of convoluted at the end to me. Like, I get what they were trying to do, and maybe they meant for this movie to be, like, a movie you have to watch multiple times in order to pick it all out. And But you have to understand, if your movie doesn't convey, like, like the story the first time around at least like in a way most people can comprehend it you're kind of having some gaps in your storytelling I get that I see that but um I like the movie I just feel like compare like comparing the first half of the movie to the second half of the movie it does feel like you're watching two different movies yeah and like I said like um the, don't get me wrong it's kind of been like a thriller or like a psychological kind of like thriller and then like the last like 30 to 20 like 30 minutes of the movie now we're deep in the horror mm-hmm. so I can see where it feels disconnected because like after the seance and after the um like the body and whatnot uh Annie show, tries to show Steve that she's not crazy that like when she threw the book into the fire earlier her arm caught in fire so she throws the Charlie's journal back into the fire and instead of her arm catching on fire Steve just literally is ignite like his whole body is just engulfed in flames and he just burns to death and like Annie's just standing there flabbergasted that like her husband's burning to death in front of her and in a way it's kind of fucked up because it's kind of like the demon saying Steve means nothing to me his blood can't do anything so let's just get him out of the way and also in a way it helps transition Annie like it breaks her it's like final like pushing her to the cliff where she's so far gone the demon just can possess her right away like we see this change in her that shows us that the demon has now taken over her body Mm-hmm. And okay, um, Annie, who is played by Tony Collette, Tony Collette carries this movie with her acting. Oh yeah, she does it's an amazing great. job. What did you say? Oh, I said she is a great actress. Yes, I agree with you. Um, her, her portrayal, like she's just so amazing as playing this grieving mother and also like this damaged woman. And um, she reminds me of, oh, what's her name? She's from The Shining. I'm probably going to mess it up. Shelly Duvall? Yes, yes. She, I don't know why, but maybe it's just the facial structure or just the emotional impact they bring. But I feel like without her, without Toni Collette in this movie, it it probably would have been a lot worse. One of the things, um, I feel like a lot of horror movies focus on the breakdown of family. Um, especially families unraveling or like being picked off terribly one by one by one. Um, so I wonder what that says as a whole about like our fears as a society. About family, about family, the, the nuclear family falling apart. Yes. Hmm. I don't know. I didn't even think of that. Um, and then another thing about this movie, I like this movie. It got decent ratings. Um, it, from the audience on Rotten Tomatoes, it got 69%. So it's not a bad movie at all. Um, 
But one of the things I will say is I've seen a lot of movies, especially demon movies, where they do this thing where they kind of combine, like, is it mental illness or is it demon possession? And I feel like that's also walking a very dangerous line whenever you make movies like that, because we know in like throughout history that has been an issue where a lot of people won't automatically accept that someone is, you know, has a mental illness because of their religion. They think the person is possessed by demons. And so they try to treat them in a spiritual way when what those people need is, you know, a more medical approach. Yeah. And it kind of sucks. Like I get like the whole, like it's supposed to kind of be misleading. Like, Oh no, they're just, it's just mental illness, but secretly it's a cult trying to revive a demon. But like you said, it, it brings back a harmful stereotype. And also it's not very like fair because like mental illness isn't like, like it's not always demons and stuff like that. Like we've both been, um, in jobs where we've seen people with mental illness and it's not always like supernatural. You know what I mean? I will say the one way I have seen mental illness manifest the most out of all of the um, people I've worked with and the jobs I've worked is dirty homes, hoarding homes. That is like one, a major sign of mental illness for me. Yeah, and it, it kind of feels cheap to be like, oh, mental illness is like can be used to portray like um, demonic possession and stuff because it's like, I don't know. I just feel like, like you said, it's a it's a fine line to walk. Now, I do get like kind of where those two things overlap because with certain mental illnesses, just like with um, demonic possession, it's almost like you you're losing control of your mind. You're losing control of your body. And so they do overlap in some ways with anxieties like they kind of um, involve. Yeah. I just, it's just kind of worrying because it's like, it's like, you know, like you said, there's, it's been throughout history, like people who did have mental illness weren't treated properly. They were kind of either like, Oh, they're possessed or, you know, we're just going to hide them away. Mm-hmm. So look at us getting deep. <laughs> I do think that um, there is some subversion. I know you had said the marketing team compared this to the exorcism. And I think that there is some subversion in this movie of an exorcism movie in the sense that, you know, most exorcism movies involves a teenage girl, either a young teenage girl or an older teenage girl. Um, She's normally possessed at night. And then she's like, the whole movie focuses on her body being destroyed and, her like vomiting and throwing up and doing crazy stuff and her family trying to save her and usually she dies. That's what most (laughs) exorcist movies focus around. In this movie, early on, we see that yes, it does involve a teenage girl, Charlie, who's 13, being possessed, but the movie doesn't focus on her possession. Her possession is like secondary. So... So it kind of focuses on uh, Peter's possession. Yes, which is not really something you see very often. Yeah, and that kind of opens up a door I don't know, uh, or opens up another talking point that I don't know if we wish to take. But why is it always girls becoming possessed? (laughs) Um, I have not done enough research to answer that, but my guess would be is like, there's almost this fear that once girls start hitting puberty, they come into like sexual awareness 
And that also brings them some knowledge that they can influence people around them. And so it's, um, I don't know, it's like when girls hit that age of like puberty and sexual awareness, they kind of become demonized. That makes me think of our a movie we've done before, uh, The Witch. Yes. And I think actually some of the people who worked on the movie The Witch worked on this movie as well. And you kind of can like, I don't know, it's just, you know, it's kind of interesting because they're both two family structures that are falling apart due to um, hard times. Yes. And they both kind of, the destruction, if you look at it, all starts with a teenage girl and the loss of a male child. Oh, look at that. <laughs> um, but at the end, uh, so going back to the movie, going back to Hereditary, um, and becomes possessed after watching her husband die in front of her, burned to death. And we see this change. And then she kind of goes after, she doesn't kind of go, she goes after Peter. And like, he's trying to escape. Like, she's like, she's watching him as he sleeps for her. And then she chases after him. And there's a scene where he like locks himself in the room. And she's like, like somehow like on the wall but banging her head against the door like he was banging his head. Yes. And um, this is kind of one of the scenes in the movie where I get it. It's meant to scare you. It's invoking body horror. It's um, weird behavior, erratic body movements. It makes you uncomfortable. It makes you feel unsettled. But it's also one of the part of the movies where I feel like we've seen this type of stuff done so much in horror movies, especially demon horror movies that it starts to become, like, a little overdone. What would you, what would have been a better, like, you think banging the head has been done too many times? Not banging the head, but, like, the crawling on the wall or being upside down, that type of stuff. Yeah, it's very interesting. That's always the thing, like, why do they become, like, Spider-Man when they become possessed? I think it's to show, like, they are, um... They're not. They're doing stuff with their body that normally wouldn't be possible. Okay, I I get that. Now I will say, normally it is a young person doing these things, so it is a little bit weird seeing a middle aged woman do these things. <laughs> um, now you're making me laugh at the scene, but uh, after um after she's done like banging her head, I don't know how, but Peter, like she like. I don't know how the scene transitions, but she decides to chop off her head using like wire and she's just like gouging at her neck. And that, that made me really uncomfortable. Yes. Cause she just, she, her eyes are locked on Peter's, which means they're also locked on the camera. And she's just sawing back and forth with this piano string against her neck where you obviously know her head is being cut off. And then we see Peter jump out the window trying to get away from this just because he's so horrified. He lands on some bushes and then we hear a plop letting us know her body just hit the ground and her head is like separate from her body. Okay. And I, I hate to bring like some um like reality to this movie, but um, at my job, uh, sometimes we have to remove an animal's head. And let me tell you, I don't know how strong piano string is, but to get through, like, to completely chop off your head th with piano string, it's got to be really tough to get through that bone. But Cole, she has the strength of Pyman. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, uh, 
you're not valuing the strength of a demon enough. I guess not, but he's still in a human body, so maybe it's powerful enough. But I don't know if that string would be powerful enough to like saw through the bone. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Oh, I just imagining it now. I'm trying, like, I feel a weird tingle around my neck. I'm like, oh, I like, and in a way, like, Tony is still, I mean, not Tony, sorry. Anna, Annie is still there. Like, she's still, like, her, I assume her spirit's still in the body. So the agony of, like, not being in control of your own body, but I imagine she still feels that pain. Oh. Yes. So um, this is our third female character. Uh, Ellen's head's gone. Charlie's head's gone. And now Annie's head is gone. This demon really likes headless bodies. and um, Women bodies. Yeah, headless women does, bodies. Does that mean that women have no identity in this movie? Except to serve the purpose, the plot line of driving it forward so that a male body can be possessed? Yeah, and it's kind of interesting. The weird thing is, um, the demon is described as having, like, a male body but a female face. I honestly thought, like, this is going to sound really horrible. But by the end of the movie, I thought Peter was going to be, like, become possessed with payment. And then they were going to cut off his head and then attach his sister's head to his body. I think that would have added an interesting element to the movie. Although, no offense, but they made... They made Charlie look not good in this movie. And Peter did look good. <laughs> he looked like a normal normal boy. Well, you got Charlie look funny, like dirty at the time, like dis- disheveled, disheveled. I cannot even say the word. She's had Payman's soul inside of her. She's been possessed since she was born. Well, Payman needs to take a bath. Jeez. She's going outside cutting off bird heads. She doesn't have time to shower. I also love that part because I think it's great foreshadowing of what is intended to happen to her. I I think it's interesting, like you said, that like the their female heads are um the women, their heads are cut off, so it shows they have no identity. But in a way, they have so much power when they're alive. Like Ellen's literally the cult leader, and then after she dies, and um another female is now the new cult leader who was like Ellen's second hand. Joanne. Oh, well, uh, I just, I just, I, well, forgive me. I have Anne, so Joanne. But <laughs> I was just the, like, about the daughter, Annie. But um, Anne, Joanne, the new cult leader, it's very interesting. Like you said, like the, like they have to like, the the three women are killed. And in a way, um, I was reading an article about this. It's kind of like a server, um, like, not, is that the right word? A subversion? Yes. Of the uh, Holy Trinity, because, you know, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And now here we have, grandmother mother daughter you know what i mean yeah so in a way and ellen um supposedly was tied to payment via marriage so she's kind of the queen so in a way it's like mother like it, in a way they represent the father's own holy spirit but on the opposite spectrum mm-hmm. and then we know that um supposedly ellen had dissociative identity disorder so it actually makes you wonder if she was actually possessed the entire time yeah and payment's been in all three women and now um after peter jumps from the window i believe he actually like dies or he injures himself and that allows payment to enter him and he is now the new uh payment has finally found his male host mm-hmm. and uh we get this this scene was actually it's it surprised me at first but i always laugh now when i see it it's supposed to be scary but we see um 
Annie's body, headless body, float up into the treehouse. So he follows it up there. And when he enters, he, the all the cult leaders are there. Cult leaders, all the members of the cult are there. And we see this altar to payment. And there's like, um, there's like the animal. Uh, when Charlie was alive, she would cut off animal heads and put them on dolls. And we see the yeah. doll kind of like surrounding the altar. And then we see Charlie's head, her mother's head, and her grandmother's head. And Charlie has like a crown on her head. And they take the crown off the head and they put it on Peter's. And that's kind of like the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they did have to add the scene in at the movie, which I felt was very weird, where like somebody is completely explaining to Peter what just happened. And they had to do that because um, in testing, they didn't, uh, the people who watched this movie during the testing stage didn't fully understand. So they had to add that bit in to kind of explain to the audience what, what exactly all happened. And I feel like that takes away from the horror movie. Yes. And that's kind of what I mean is like, I definitely see where he was going, but there's obviously some gaps in the storytelling where there wasn't enough information for people, for the general audience to put the movie together. But sometimes the unknown is scarier than like explaining it all out. Yeah, I almost think this movie would have been better if there was no paranormal aspect to it. And it was just a crazy cult who's like really convinced that there is this demon god and they were just terrorizing this family due to that. Yeah, like Ellen was crazy and the cult's crazy and they just kind of fucked over Annie's family for nothing. Yes, I think that would have been... And in an interesting way, um, I almost feel like it would have... If they would have kept that... Like, if they would have had that ending, it would have tied back to any speech at the kitchen table when it's her Steve and Peter after um, Charlie's death because Annie gives this big speech where she's like it's after she's you know told Peter yeah I do blame you for Charlie's death I know it was an accident I would take away that pain if I could but I can't and she's like and what has all of this been for maybe if this would have brought us together as a family there could be something that came from it but instead it's done nothing for us so it's her death was literally nothing. And I feel like if the movie had ended where there was no paranormal stuff and it was just this crazy cult, you know, moving towards this goal, this false goal, where there's actually no true outcome, it would have, you know. It would, it, it would tie all together. Yeah, it would have tied everything in together. Um, I like that. I, I like that ideal. But sadly, they went with the supernatural aspect, which is fine, too. But like you said, they had to explain it. So, you know, I feel mm -hmm. like that kind of takes away if you have to, if you literally have to have someone explain to your main character. But, you know, they're explaining to us, the audience, what happened. Because, you know, I don't know. It breaks the immersion. Yeah. And in writing, they call that info dumping. And it, you see it in books sometimes, too. And it really does kind of take you out of the actual story. Like, it takes you away from being, like, immersed in the story. Because you're suddenly brought back out and they're like, oh, this is this is what happened. If you didn't catch that, you know, you're possessed by a demon now. You should know that you're the demon, but we have to tell you because the audience doesn't know. Yeah. Uh, I do like how, uh, not last week, but the week before, we watched um, The Wicker Man. And I do like how these, um, these tie together that secretive cult working behind the scenes to make something come out of it 
And I do wish it was kind of like that way. Like, and in a way it might be the same, like they might've brought this demon force, but you know, he might be like, I, all I can do much is make you chop off your head and float around, but that's all I can do. Yeah. So like, Um, it is really interesting because you do see how like the cult did kind of, the cult was pulling strings and making the family kind of like go against each other. Like, we know that they probably put the nuts in Charlie's food. Or maybe it was an accident and she just ended up eating nuts without realizing it. And we know that, you know, they're the ones that desecrated Ellen's grave and then put the her body up in the attic. Now, I will say Steve did make a big mistake there by not just telling Annie that her mom's grave had been desecrated. Yeah, why didn't he tell her? I think he was just not wanting to add something else to her plate. And so he decided to, like, keep it to himself. But that's kind of, like, why they she didn't know for months. And they didn't realize for a while that her mom's body was up in their attic. Another thing is, um, um, on the pole that took Charlie's head, there's the symbol of payment. So, like, the cult knew he had to take that route. And the cult knew that he would lose control and Charlie's head would come flying. Mm-hmm. And I think even the demon payment, I think he's like a demon of like wisdom. So it kind of explains how they would know everything would work out in the end. Yes. It says he, he can also give information about past events and events to come. Yeah. So I'll so, see that a little bit. It's just, you know, it's like, very interesting, like like I said, the Wicker Man and Hereditary, they both have two cults who are working in the background to essentially have human sacrifices. Hereditary just had a lot more human sacrifices. Mm-hmm. But really, um, it's like the main characters think that they're like moving the story along, that they're going to somehow fix everything. But really, they've been set up, so they're running to their own demise. Yeah, like... Annie and her little house and everything she thought she was in control of everything or doing that gave her control but she didn't understand that she was essentially setting in a little house herself being controlled yes and I love that um I love that view of it so what would you rate this movie I think I'm gonna rate it um a 3.5 out of 5 yeah I think that's a I think I would actually give it a 4 surprisingly I wasn't that crazy like I didn't think I liked that movie this that much but it does make me think a lot and I think there were some really great parts and honestly I love the way um the first half of the movie really delves into just how much grief can unravel a family and how it can change the dynamics and you know I don't know I just like that aspect of the movie yeah I just in a way, this family wasn't really close to begin with. So it's not surprising to see how grief had such a, like, like the mother was saying, like, instead of bringing them together, it kind of just made them grow even farther apart and fall apart. I think another thing that I thought was interesting about this movie is even when we see them in the house, a lot of times, like, they're in their own areas, like Peter's in his room or... um Steve is like in the living room by himself and then Annie's working on her little house art projects or sleeping up in the clubhouse treehouse. Yeah, it's very it's they're very like isolated with even within their own home. I will say I think 
sound was used great throughout this movie. That tongue popping sound. <laughs> so creepy. Yes. And I love that once Peter becomes possessed, he, in a way, it's like, I know this sounds kind of crazy. I wonder if like every time Payman possesses another human body, he takes the soul with him. Like, so when he, when Ellen, uh, when he possessed Ellen, he took Ellen's soul and they were in Charlie. And then when he, Charlie died, they took all the souls and they put it into Annie. And now all the souls are in Peter because he starts making the popping sound like Charlie. Mm-hmm. So, so that, yeah. that is such an interesting thought. Um, on that note, I do want to mention another movie that this kind of reminded me of. And I don't think it was ever a very big movie. But it was called Shelter, and it's about this mom. I believe her and her dad were both, like, psychologists or psychiatrists. And um, her dad, so she, they live in, like, on the East Coast somewhere or, like, in Tennessee or Kentucky. I can't remember exactly where. But um, they encounter this patient that they think has dissociative identity disorder, and they're trying to treat him. But before they can treat him, somehow he ends up, dying and her daughter ends up with a mark on her and then it's like what you find out as the movie goes along is if you don't have faith in anything um there's like this curse that was put on people so if you don't have any faith like this thing will eventually take over you and it brings all of the souls it had already taken into your body and then it moves to the next person and it takes your soul with all the other souls into the next body and it's called shelter it's, it's a very interesting movie but it kind of reminded me of this one that is really interesting um so any last thoughts on this movie no i feel like we've um feel like we've talked about uh, everything well um if you like this podcast please tune in next week we are doing our last movie for november um it'll also kind of be cultish it's the village and if you want to give us any feedback or comments, you can reach us at shrieksandshiverpodcast.gmail.com. Yes, please reach out to us. We would love to hear from y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.